seat. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 25. It's on page 830 of your church Bibles, uh, 830 and 831. Matthew 25, uh, we're going to look at verses uh, 14 through 30. So we're, we're going through uh, uh, a section of, of Matthew's gospel uh, called the Olivet Discourse. It's when, uh, as we heard a few weeks ago, uh, Jesus goes up. Uh, he, he's left the temple. He's left a, a confrontation with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, the, he, he's walking out with the disciples, and the disciples say, look at the, the glory and splendor of the temple. Uh, and Jesus says to him, I, I can tell you that, that not one stone is going to be left uh, on another uh, of the temple. And, and uh, they were shocked by that. And so they, they come to Jesus on the Mount, Mount of Olives. Uh, this is the week of his, his uh, crucifixion. And they ask him, when, when are these things going to take place? And so uh, this is uh, Christ continuing to answer uh, the, the questions put to him by the disciples. And, and so uh, he, he's in the, the third uh, parable uh, this morning uh, that he's, he's shared with his, his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And so Matthew 25, we're going to read from verses 14 through verse 30. And this is God's word. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have, done, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you deliver to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an admirer of the cricketer Jimmy Anderson. Uh, he's a fast bowler. He's the, actually the leading test wicket taker. Of all time, he's uh, he's also so he, he's so good, in fact, that uh, his his home ground of Old Trafford in Manchester uh, named one of one of the ends of the ground for him. 
Uh, and so whenever he, he bowls in Old Trafford, he can, uh, it's, it's amazing to hear the announcers say, bowling from the James Anderson end, James Anderson. He's, he's incredibly accomplished as, a, as a, a cricketer, as a bowler. The, the main reason I admire him, though, is because he's actually my age, and he's still bowling for England. He's at times competing against men who are literally half his age, and he, he still gets them out. Now, uh, imagine if Jimmy Anderson retired uh, early. Imagine if he retired at, the, say, the age of, of 28. He would have been accomplished he still would be remembered as, as a really good bowler, perhaps. But it would have been an, an utter waste of the talent, wouldn't it? More than that, middle-aged men like me across the country would have no one to, to give them hope that they may still have uh, a cr- decent cricketing career uh, for England. You know, I'm still dreaming of the call-up. Now imagine if a, a follower of Jesus said, you know what, I'm, I'm trusting in Christ. I've identified myself with him. Uh, I'm following him. And now I'm just going to, to take it easy. I'm going to step back from, from spiritual pursuits because there's nothing more that I need. Jesus says that that's even worse than if Jimmy Anderson took early retirement. He says that you're, you're not simply wasting your talent. He says that you're, you're actually wasting the, the gifts and the talent that he has given to you. Gifts and talents that he's entrusted to you to steward. Last week we looked at the, the parable of the, the ten virgins, which was uh, a, a parable that was calling us to, to watch and to, to wait for the, the coming uh, bridegroom, the Messiah, our master. The parable of the, the talents is a call to work. The essence of, of what Jesus says to us this morning is that if, if we're in him, then we're not our own. And the things that we, that we possess and the things that we do are not our own. Rather, all that we do is in service to, to our master, to Christ the King. And this is, in fact, the, the whole heart of the Christian life, isn't it? The Christian life causes us to see our, our true purpose, that, that all of life is to be lived in the service of our great God. So three things for us to see from this parable this morning. First of all, that Christ has, has given you talents. Secondly, we see how Christ expects you to steward your talents. And third, we'll see that Christ will hold you accountable for your talents. So let's begin by seeing that Christ has given you talents. Now, notice how Jesus describes the, the last days. Uh, again, uh, the last days are simply the, the uh, time between the ascension of Jesus and, and his return. It's the, the quality of the days, not, not the quantity. But this is what Jesus is describing here, isn't it? He's, uh, he's, he's describing uh, the, the, the last days. Here, here's a, a man that's going on a journey uh, who then uh, calls his servants and entrusts his property to them. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them when he's coming back. Uh, so he, he simply gives them the, the, this, this bit of his property and says, look after this while I'm away. And like last week, uh, Jesus is once again talking uh, about, about the church. He's the master and he's entrusted you and I, his people, with his property, with his, with his talents. Now let's talk about what we mean uh, by the word talents. Uh, a talent was, uh, in the ancient world, a denomination of money. And it was equivalent to about 10,000 denarii. Now, if you remember a, a few parables ago, 
uh, a number of weeks back. Uh, you may recall that uh, one denarii was a was a, a generous day's wage. So essentially, a, a talent was equivalent to ten thousand days' wages. To put it in modern terms, uh, the the average UK salary is around twenty-seven thousand pounds a year, which means the average day's wage, if you just divide that by 365 days, you're not counting weekends and holidays and so forth. Uh, the average day's wage is around 75 pounds. So if you take 75 pounds and multiply that by 10,000, you get roughly the modern equivalent uh, of, a, of a talent. And so then you, you would take that and, and get, he gives one servant uh, five talents. So multiply that 75 by 10,000 by five. The numbers start to get really big really quick, don't they? This, on the, the one hand, gives us a, actually a, a picture of the immensity of the gospel. It's, an, it's a picture of the immensity of the grace of God. These men are, are servants, but they, they find themselves with these, these vast amounts of wealth, more than any of them had, had ever seen before, probably. More simply, certainly more than they'd ever been responsible for. And they're simply told to, to look after it. It's at their, their disposal. They can use it how they like but they're told they'll, they'll ultimately be held accountable for it by their master. I think we can also assume that if, if the master has these vast amounts of wealth that he can simply divide up between these three servants, then there has to be much more where that came from, right? I think it's really important that each of us uh, here recognize that everything, that everything we have, both physically and spiritually, are, are gifts from God. That everything that, that everything ultimately belongs to him, whether it, that's our, our earthly wealth or our, our talents and abilities, whether that's our, our, our intellect or, or even, even things like our families, everything we have belongs to God. That's what, what Jesus is getting at here. That's what he's talking about when he talks about, about talents. We think of salvation as as bringing our, our gifts and talents, our whole selves, and, and handing them over to Jesus. But actually, Jesus says it's, it's the opposite. Jesus' view and understanding of salvation here is, uh, puts our view and turns it on its head. God's, uh, Jesus says that our salvation is actually God's imparting his gifts to us, imparting the gifts of his grace and his mercy to us. Spiritual gifts that, that prepare us for think, what is to come. And we're expected to, to use those gifts for his glory. Salvation is, is actually recognizing that the, the things we've always had belong to God. And the things that he gives us in our salvation is grace, is a further gift from him. So notice though uh, how the master knows each of his servants and their abilities. Did you notice that? To, to one he gives five talents, to one two, to the third just one. And we're told that it's each according to their to, to their ability. Jesus says there's there's a measure of gospel talent in, in each and every believer. But he doesn't have the same expectations for every believer. In other words, we're not we're not, we're not all called to do or to achieve the same things for Christ. Actually that should comfort us, shouldn't it? You know, we've we've created a lot of problems for believers over the last uh, half century in evangelicalism by, by putting this expectation on every person that they must do great things for God. But what Jesus actually says here is, is that you must use what gifts he's given you for his glory. 
and use those in measure according to how, how he's gifted us. Paul actually lays this out uh, for us in, in Ephesians 4 as well, doesn't he? In Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I'll just read part of it. Paul says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he goes on, but, but Paul, Paul is basically echoing what Jesus says here, isn't he? That we all have gifts. That we all have abilities, that we all have things that God has given us that we're meant to use to, to build the kingdom and, and, and glorify him. That doesn't mean we all have to be pastors or elders or deacons or missionaries or even Bible study leaders. But we're all meant to recognize and accept the gifts of Christ and to use them for his glory. And what does that look like? That's our second point this morning. How... Christ expects you to steward your talents. I've, I've heard of ministers who uh, read this parable and then they give everyone in the congregation 10 pounds to, to take and, and see what they can do with it, see how they can increase their money. Now, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that uh, because it's missing the whole point of the parable. Uh, but what Jesus is talking about is the, he's, he's talking about the gifts that, that are given to us both, both by his special grace as well as by uh, his what we call his common grace. Uh, if you joined us this past Wednesday uh, to, in, in Ealing, then you heard Matthew Roberts talk about he, how each and every one of us was created to, to uh, bear the image of God, to reflect God's image back to him, to glorify him. When Jesus tells this parable about using the talents, the master leaves in the care of his servants. He's talking about us using uh, the, the, the gifts he's given us for his glory. He's talking about us doing the, the very thing we were created to do, to, to reflect God's, God's glory back to him. You know, it strikes very close to the, to the whole purpose of our humanity. John Calvin actually says of, of this parable, Christ is not here distinguishing the, uh, the nature or the natural gifts from spiritual gifts. For there's neither power nor skill which should not be referred to God. In other words, He's saying that, that Jesus is, is lumping together all the gifts God has ever given us. The, the natural abilities that you have, as well as the, the spiritual uh, insights in, that, that he's given us in his word. So as Christians, we should look at the, the gifts and abilities that God has, has given us in our day-to-day -day lives. Has God blessed you with a good education? Then Jesus doesn't want you to squander that. He expects you to use that for his glory. Has he blessed you with the abilities in, in business or in teaching? Then he expects you to, to use that for his glory. Has he, has he enabled you to, to uh, have an expertise in a trade or to do some physical labor? Then, then we should work in those areas for his glory. If we're lazy, if we're not working, that's not honoring to God. If, we're, we're work, if our work is, is simply to, to increase our earthly wealth, that isn't honoring to God. So what Jesus seems to indicate here is that his, his expectations of us will align with our abilities. If you're a public figure, then there's a weight of expectation on you to glorify God in that, in that calling and not to water down your faith in public. If you're a person who works behind 
the scenes in some way, what, what you do in, in secret and behind the scenes, uh, it may not feel like a big deal to you. But God's calling on us is, is at times simply to, to live honorable and quiet lives before him. Doing what, what work we do, what, both the seen and the unseen, before him and, and for his glory. But the talents Christ gives us run deeper than, than simply our, our, our earthly talents, don't they? He gives us the gift of salvation. And the particular uh, calling of this parable is for us to, to actually improve upon that salvation. Now notice that I said uh, improve upon and not add to. We cannot add to the grace of God, can we? If we're in Christ, then we're secure in him for eternity. But part of the, the calling of Christ and the calling of the Christian life, what Jesus seems to expect of us here, is that we will aim to prepare ourselves more and more for heaven. That we'll work to prepare ourselves more and more for his return. And this actually makes sense, doesn't it? In fact, that's, that's what we're seeing in this parable. The master gives his three servants talents that they're, they're responsible to use well. The first one immediately goes out and increases the talents his, his master gives him, as does the second. Now, the third one is, is the problematic one, isn't it? He's the kind of believer who says, I've, I've got salvation, I'm in the household, that should be fine. I'm, I, I don't need to do anything else. In fact, I'll just get in trouble if I try to do any more. So he goes and buries the talent. But what Jesus says is he wants us to be actively engaged in the work of the kingdom. And, and what does that mean? And most of us immediately go to, well, I'm supposed to share the gospel, right? It's evangelism. That's certainly something we should be doing. It's something we should ex expect to be, be called to do if we're part of God's kingdom. But, but often, though, the, the engagement and, and the, the use of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of the, the talents God gives us is, is simply engaging in the ordinary means of grace doing those simple things that, that Christ calls all believers to do, taking the things that Jesus has given us in order to know him more deeply and to, to grow in our understanding of him and, and to grow in our love for him and to grow in our holiness are, are really simple things. Things like reading his word, uh, praying, honoring, honoring the Lord's day, setting it aside for, for worship and rest, being part of... Of, of the corporate worship of, of God's people being found in the church of Christ. That seems really simple, doesn't it? And it is really simple, actually. That's, that's kind of the point of the parable. This is why the third servant is so wicked. Because he doesn't truly value the, the gifts he's been given. And he doesn't actually understand the character of the master he's called to serve. Rather than, than actively taking uh, what the, the master has blessed him with and, and using it to, to have, have something more to offer upon his master's return, well, he simply buries his gift in the ground. And when you hear, hear that, you, that, that sounds really tragic, doesn't it? Even before, even before the, the master returns, it's, it's tragic. Because you see in this, this first servant, the... the the, the first two servants, sorry, the, the two with, with more to lose, a, a sense of both the, the obligation that the master puts on them, but also the, the joy of serving the master. They understand his generosity. They've, they've lived in his household. 
they, they, they desire to see the, the things he's given them put to good use, to be used with joy for his goodness. This is why we, we can't be accused of teaching legalism here, can we? In fact, this parable points to the antidote for legalism. In many ways, that, that third servant is the, the legalist, the one who wants to, to, to keep the law perfectly. The legalist was the one who buries his talent in the ground because he assumed uh, the master was harsh and cruel. And he wanted to simply do enough to get the master to accept him. The other two servants knew the master to be good and to, to be generous and to be gracious. And so they could serve him with confidence and they could serve him without fear. You see, the reason the two servants did what they did was because they were simply following the example of their master. They, they lived in his household again. They, they, they understood his mind and his heart. So when, when he went away, they simply carried on doing the things that they knew he would do himself was he, if he were still among them. That's the calling of the Christian life. To simply follow the master. You know, imagine if, if Jesus had buried his talents. We would still be in our sin and, and, and under death, wouldn't we? But Christ came and he gave his whole self over. He gave all of his gifts, all of his talents. He emptied himself of his glory in order to, to see us glorified in him. His glory increases when his people follow him. Folks, this is our, our great purpose in life. You know, we're, we're a church with a, a lot of young adults, and, and many of you are, are trying to, to figure out in, in kind of your, your 20s and 30s uh, what's your place in this world and what's your purpose well, Jesus says he's, he's given you talents. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. And he's given you his grace. And he wants you to, to get up every morning and simply follow him. Simply consider in your, your own lives, how would, how would Christ have me live today? We live for the glory of our great Savior and of our great God. Father. Now, the last thing we, we see this morning is, is that this isn't a, a calling that we can simply overlook, is it? Because Christ will hold you accountable for your talents. And the, the whole point of these, these kingdom parables is, is actually to, to underline and to, to keep uh, in front of us that, that there's a day of reckoning that is coming. Jesus wants us to be ready, doesn't he? Last week he said to, to be ready and watch. Today he says, uh, be ready and work. Because he's going to judge us based on what we do with the gifts he's given us. You'll, you'll often hear people uh, question, why would, why would God judge anyone? But when you, when you think about our, our lives in, in, in light of this parable, it actually makes complete sense, doesn't it? You know, our sin is the, the breaking of God's law, and a, a big part of that is, is the failure to, to use the things he's given us to honor him with our lives and to, to glorify him rightly. It's like taking all the, the wealth that he's given us, all the talents and, and misusing them. But when you stop and think about it, this all makes sense. If you're, the, if you're a store clerk and you're given the, the responsibility of, of looking after a till at the, at the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable for your till. Your manager will, will take the till and, 
and uh, they'll they'll uh, check it and against uh, what was sold, and and you'll be responsible for any discrepancies that are found. If you work in the corporate world, then your your company will be uh, required to have auditors check the books and any any discrepancies there, any mistakes that were made, any money that was sent to the wrong place or, or misused. The the company's held accountable for. Even charities have to give an account. Grace Church is going to be submitting uh, our first uh, accounts later this year. Thanks to Pal Ping, working feverishly to make sure that I've given her all the right receipts. I have. We'll talk later. Um, (laughs) But Jesus says that 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 Jesus is basically saying that he's the the financial conduct authority of our hearts and that he's going to check the books. Notice the, the joy of that day for the true believers. The first service, the, the five talents come in and, uh, uh, and he's turned, uh, the, the, the servant who was given five talents comes in and he's turned those five talents into five more. He's got ten talents now. How does the master respond? Verse 21, listen to what he says. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The master greets him with, with warmth and with joy. He rewards his servant for, for serving him well. He gives him even, even more than he had because of the wealth and joy and love that the master has. The second servant comes and he has, he has had two talents and he's turned those two talents into two talents more. What does the master say to him? He says, well, that's pretty good, but, but I kind of expected more of you, didn't he? No, verse 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The master celebrates him the same as the, the first servant. He rewards him like he, like he rewards the first servant. There's joy waiting for, uh, for the second servant. And there's joy for all of those who, who rightfully uh, serve the master. But then what about the third servant? What happens to him? He was, he was given just one talent. It's not a lot, it's not a lot to manage. It's not a lot of, of responsibility. Surely he, he could have sorted that. But he comes in after having dug up the talent from its hiding place. You, know, you can almost see him uh, taking it in and he's still trying to wipe the dirt off of it. And he presents it to the master. And what's he say to the master? To, to use modern terms, he, he basically gaslights him, doesn't he? He blames the master for his own failure to do what he was, what he was called to do. Look at verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Now look, folks, this is, this is the heart of our world today. This is the very heart of the modern world. Why should I be responsible or accountable to someone else? This guy's rich enough. He, he only gets richer off the back of, of the labor of others. I'm, I'm the victim He left me with this responsibility and I I never asked for it. I should have been able to just live how I wanted. 
You know, the, the master has a reputation of a bully. So I'm simply going to protect myself and, and bury the coin in the ground. And, and, it's, and it's your fault. What we hear in these words of the servant is, is really the, the very heart of any, anyone in rebellion against God, isn't it? That's why the, the words seem to, 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 to ring true even to our modern ears, don't they? What we have to accept is that we, we are not free. That we were made to serve the Master, each and every one of us. When we deny this, when we, when we bury our talents, when we insult his character, it not only cancels out our, our purpose in life, but on the, the day of accountability, we will be held responsible for both the, the things that we've done and the things that we failed to do. You hear in this parable that, that each and every one of us, within the church and, and out there, has, has some measure of talent. And our calling is to bring that under the reign of the Master. But you hear the response of the Master to the wicked servant, don't you? You know, he's having none of it. Because he's the Master. He's sovereign and he's in charge. Even, even the, the servant acknowledges that to a certain extent. But the Master says to him, if, if you pr- truly believed the things that you're saying about me, if you truly uh, understood or truly thought the things that you're thinking and saying about me, then you'd have done the bare minimum. You'd have put it in the bank. You'd have gotten a bit of interest from the bank for it. The bank would have provided both both uh, interest as well as security. You know, he, he's not asking a lot, is he? The calling of the servant wasn't hard. It really wasn't. It wasn't burdensome. And the wicked servant. Uh, what's revealed in this is actually. The, the true heart of the wicked servant. He despises the master and his wealth and the gracious responsibility that, that he's been given. You see, the burying of the talent wasn't about security. It was actually about spiteful point scoring. And in the end, our, our hearts will, will be revealed in how we've lived and served the master. And on that day, there'll be no hiding. And there will be no gaslighting. The master will see right through us. And he'll leave us without excuse. Notice how he deals with the wicked servant. Not, not with joy. And not with the grace of the first two. Look at verse 28. So take the talent from him. And give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a a day every April when I look at the post and I get a sick feeling in my stomach. I never know exactly which day it will be, but I know it's going to happen every single April. Because I get that brown envelope. That you can tell, just uh, it, it doesn't have any, any real markings on it, but you just know, you can tell it's from HMRC. And I see that envelope and I think, I've done something wrong. I'm in trouble. You know, my accountant has made an error, so therefore I've probably made an error. And they're, they're writing to me to tell me that, that uh, I owe them something. The day of, a, of reckoning has come. And then I open it, and it's, it's simply that reminder, isn't it, that, that I'm, I'm meant to file my tax return for the year that's just ended. Why am I always 
Why am I always scared? Why do I have that, 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 that slight moment of, of panic every time I, I see that, that brown envelope that only HMRC seems to use? It's because the day of reckoning is, is a scary thing, isn't it? And somehow we all know it's coming, don't we? Those last words of Jesus hang in the air. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a sobering parable, isn't it? And it's meant to be. You see, we don't know when that, that brown envelope will pop through the door. We don't know when that, that, that day of accountability, that day of reckoning will be. So Jesus says, get to work. He says, take advantage of the, the days that we have until his return. How you, how you respond to this parable and this, this calling all depends on how you understand Jesus as your master. Is he the one who has blessed you with all that you have? Who has brought you into his home and has entrusted you with his treasure? Then joyfully serve him with gladness and anticipation of his coming kingdom. And if you're not sure about that, if you're not convinced that, that Christ is the good master, then Jesus graciously wants you to, to be warned that there's a day that is coming when, when our hearts will be exposed in the things that we've done and in the things that we've left undone. And he graciously warns you that it's not too late to, to repent. To, to put your, your true master's talents in order it's not too late to, to dig up your talents and put them to use for your master, your God, and your king. Let us pray.